I bet you've already started thinking about who you want to be and what you want to do in 2022, right? Well, imagine if you could change the world just by choosing to love yourself more. How would that impact what you plan to do in this year ahead? Hello, lovely people. It's Shara Carruthers here, and you are listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast, an exploration of the simple and complex and everyday ways that yoga shows up in our minds, bodies, and world. And we've somehow made it to the end of 2021. Whew, it was an interesting year with challenges like any other, but I find myself wondering, how did you grow? What aspects of the last 12 months had the biggest impact on who you are right now? You know, getting present to how I've evolved and the aspects of my everyday experiences that most profoundly shaped my evolution is starting to become a really important part of my practice of living and an important part of being me. This year, it's been shaped by loss and love and joy and connection, but I would have to say that curiosity has been the biggest catalyst for the change and the growth that I've experienced this year. In previous years, I think I've felt more pushed by the world around me, you know, focused on trying to keep up or meet expectations or succeed in some acceptable way, but this year felt different. My own curious nature pulled me through the challenges of pandemic living, the pain of losing a beloved friend, the empty space of uncertainty, and it pulled me towards, among other things, a deep inquiry into the nature of consciousness, an exploration of the power of self-care and a nourishing, nourishing connection with kindred spirits. And it's that same curiosity that connected me with our guest today. So Jacoby Ballard is a unique and incredibly soulful human being. He's someone whose authenticity is just so natural an expression of who he is that it shines like a beacon signal, right? Calling kindred spirits to come a little bit closer and I've been a fan of Jacoby since hosting a session that he offered on the Embodied Yoga Summit earlier this year. I've got to tell you, that session blew me away. It melted me from the inside out because it spoke gently to some of the challenging experiences that I've had in my life. And, and it invited us all, everyone who was there on the session, and maybe everyone who wasn't, it invited us all into our own hearts to find healing. I feel like that session was such a beautiful reminder as well that self-care truly is our foundation for rising. I remember feeling inspired by Jacoby's ability to hold space and curious about the life and the practice and the history that could create such a powerful way of being. And so I guess I feel like the idea for this conversation was born back then, even before the book, Jacoby's book. And I'm so incredibly grateful that, that to that, particularly to that curiosity for pulling us towards the connection that we've made with this incredible, incredible human being and teacher. And so let me tell you a little bit more about him. 
So Jacoby Ballard is a social justice educator and yoga teacher who's taught queer and trans yoga since 2006. He leads workshops and trainings around the country on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and consults on that same subject, diversity, equity, and inclusion for yoga and meditation organizations. And as you will find out, he's also the author of a new book, A Queer Dharma, Yoga and Meditations for Liberation, just very recently released in November and is very much the subject of the conversation that we had on this podcast. And so Lucy and I got a hold of the book as soon as it was published and we both, we just dived deeply into its message and practices and we unpacked that a little bit with Jacoby for our own personal benefit and for yours in this conversation that you're just about to hear. And so with that, as an introduction, I'll let you listen to our chat with Jacoby Ballard. Hello, everyone. It's Shara Carruthers here, and I am so, so delighted to be here today with Lucy Carnani, my lovely guest host, and our guest for this podcast, Jacoby Ballard. Hello, Jacoby. How are you? Hello. Doing all right today. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually. I'm not too bad. It's early where I, it's early ish where I am, a little earlier than I would normally be up, but that's okay. All good. Definitely worthwhile. How about you, Lucy? How are you today? I am doing fabulously well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. We're so happy to be here. Um, not only just chatting with you, Jacoby, but having the opportunity to chat with you about this beautiful book. We've Mm. both been reading this book. And, uh, and just loving it all along the way. I haven't finished it. I haven't finished it, but I'm really looking forward to finishing it. And I kind of like the first thing that I, I wanted to kind of dive into, or at least to ask you is, uh, who did you write this book for? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have a whole, a whole passage in the, in the introduction that yeah. to put it short, it's, it's for everyone. Um, you know, like it's for, uh, it's for queer folks who don't see ourselves, our experience centered that often in yoga spaces or the teachings generally. It's for straight folks who want to be allies and, you know, take further steps on that journey. It's for, uh, people that are just entering anti-racist work and racial justice work, um, and are terrified or uh, so committed that they're martyring themselves. It's for people, um, it's for people who like imagine their yoga practice as separate from politics. Um, And then it's for those of us who bring our whole experience into the room and know that any room we're ever in is a political experience. Well, can I just say as a um, somebody, I guess, who falls into some of those categories, um, <laughs> I think it should be compulsory reading for all yoga teachers and, and like any consciously minded person who wants to make a change. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the messages that was so strong was that your personal practice can make a difference to 
you know, to the communities that you're supporting, but also, you know, help change the world. We're probably going to get onto that later. Sorry, Sharon, I've kind of jumped no, ahead. No, Sharon and I have talked a lot about the content of your book. It's so yeah. rich. It is so rich. Yeah. 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 I, I think what I've loved the most is just the tone of it, mm. this tone. And what I've, what I've noticed is that it's something that tone feels very familiar because it feels like something that I've experienced. My, in other words, it, it feels like something that I've experienced in my own heart, but it also feels like something that I haven't seen out in the social justice spaces where, where I've been. And so I, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned to you in one of the messages that I sent you that I just, there's been tears for me in reading this book because I just felt so joyful that this message is, getting out there because I feel it really needs to be this message of compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's um, one of the questions that, that arose for me in reading, uh, especially the fact that this, because of the fact that this book feels like a, a memoir, you are really weaving in your own stories. It feels like you've been an activist for ever. And I wondered, <laughs> do you, do you feel that? And if so, mm -hmm. is it, was there a moment when you decided to just to own that? I think I became kind of formally an activist on my college campus my sophomore year. Um, I was uh, in this class led by this fellow um, who was an organizer from Colombia whose life was in danger. Um, he was fighting um, on behalf of uh, unions and indigenous people uh, during the Civil War in Colombia. and. Um, some of his torturers, he'd been tortured, um, were trained by the School of the Americas here in Fort Benning, Georgia, that no, now go by, goes by another name. Um, and I, so that, that moment, um, and just the process of being in that class with, with Hector Mondragon is his name, um, yeah, just, uh, committed me to solidarity work and knowing that like um, being an American in the world is an immense privilege and uh, I can, you know, solidarity, Central American, South American solidarity work, um, even the solidarity work with South Africa, right, has um, like Amer American citizenship plays a role in that, mm. that, that that it could be a tool you know to fight for liberation for all or it could also be a weapon to mm. further suppress other people um but if i look even back a little bit further um i remember in high school there was um in my neighborhood there's this old bar uh that was sold when i was i think a senior in high school and became a um uh a nightclub with women dancers and um the neighborhood was up uh, furious about it and my mom was was went there to to protest and, and i went there to protest which is kind of funny now looking back because i don't i wouldn't condemn sex work now in the in the way that i that i did then but um i remember just like having signs and you know shouting chants and like being like oh maybe this kind of feels right maybe this is part of who i am 
So you've had a fire in your belly for a very long time to uh, stand up for what's right. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think part of it comes from being bullied for six years in um, middle school and high school and just like really knowing what it feels like to be targeted mm. and knowing that that's not right and that no one deserves that. Yeah. whether it's on an individual scale like bullying is or on like a more collective scale like police violence mm. yeah kind of macro bullying if you like yeah. <laughs> right exactly yeah <laughs> or systemic bullying yeah. yeah 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 and it feels like it feels like there's so much it feels like there's lots of folks who are um, in that position of being bullying or being bullied, who are kind of suffering under, um, you know, this oppression, and yet the challenge of standing up to it takes something. And I wonder for you, you know, what was that? What did it take? Yeah. I mean, in that class in college, it was an immense love for this man, this Colombian man, and yeah. outrage that he would be violated and mm. then coming to understand that it wasn't just him, right? Like there was a whole system <laughs> and a whole the military industrial complex and, yeah. uh, you know, U.S. politics and that like it's, it's and in that moment, understanding that like these huge systems have individual implications mm. um, and just knowing like I didn't feel like I felt like out of that love for him, I couldn't not stand up and go to the protests and do whatever I could to, mm. to shift things. I love that it's I love that it's come from love. You know, often, you know, it does come from, um, sometimes it comes from a place of ego. Sometimes it comes from, um, yeah, I don't know, like a, you know, a reactionary place. But the fact that it comes from love just is incredibly inspiring. And it feels like that's the, in some ways, maybe it feels like love is, is, you know, it is the strongest place, if you know what I mean. Like it's, um, it's a, yeah, it's a, the words are, <laughs> the words are escaping me, but I think to myself, if, you know, love is sort of, it seems like some of the other things can fall apart as you dig deeper, but love is yeah. always going to be there. It's always going to be the stronghold. And right. if it comes from there, it feels like yeah. this is something that can last and can support you through all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe it has, I don't know, I'm making assumptions. <laughs> it definitely it has. I, I feel like if I, all through my 20s, I was led by rage and anger. So it wasn't, mm -hmm. but love is always underneath anger, you yeah. know? And I know that now through my own experience and also looking at any activism or social justice organizing in the world, that it's always from this place of deep dedication and reverence for one's own people or the land or the oceans or whatever it is, children at large or whatever one feels feels called for it, it, it comes from love but the and i think of rage as like 
this warrior that's protecting the vulnerability of of love. Um, and there's a wisdom in there, and there's a power in that, and we can't um, disregard that. I think that's so important in activism because um, that that ignites so many people of the like, hell no, yeah. you can't do this. This is wrong. This is fucked up. Like that's so important because mm -hmm. that brings so many people into the the work. But it can't be the place that we continue from that's that's mm -hmm. not workable for the long haul yeah do, Toby, i love that you write about this um in the book quite extensively about anger and about its importance but also its potential harm for you personally um and that it's not sustainable and i would say um to this particular aspect of the work that you do but everything um that you offer actually uh practices and and um you know strategies to work with it so it's a very pragmatic book as well it's not <laughs> it's not it's not just sort of your life story which is incredible but um but it, as in inspirational i mean it's horrific many of the things that have happened so i um just to acknowledge that but um that you're passing on what you've learned because of your experiences is so admirable um but what i love is that you are offering you know really um you know, hard won wisdom of what you've learned along the way and you've received from others, you know, and you credit all your other teachers so beautifully as well, which I love. Mm -hmm. uh, and then these, you know, practices that you offer. So what other, uh, what other um, qualities are you calling on, do you think, in your, you know, if you think of your activist work, I mean, there's love and there's anger, but what other, other qualities? Truth. Uh, like the many truths and commitment to hearing the unheard truths. Um, I mean, I, th I think I'm really guided by the yamas of yoga and the precepts of, of Buddhism. Um, uh, de determination, generosity, uh, you know, both the precepts and the yamas have a principle of non-stealing. And for me, it, that it must include returning what has been stolen because so much land, so much labor, so many bodies have been, have been stolen, um, especially situated here in the U.S. Um, mm. Thinking about indigenous folks and, yeah. and, and black folks, especially. And so um, if I, you know, if I don't reckon with that truth, then the separation in our society is going to, is going to, continue and that's going to be painful for everyone i think it's also such courage isn't it because this truth that you speak of is there if you want to see it but because of the systemic environment in which we you know or swim we don't see it because we we sort of it, it, what's that there's some line about you ask the fish where is the water and they say what water yeah yeah, uh, so, yeah. um yeah, so the the you know the courage to look at the truth, and then in your case, I I you know see you shine you know shining a light on it to educate. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. mm. And also, you write yeah, about the. Oh, sorry. No. I was just going to say that you know that that can encounter resistance, and also I've found that if I can come from a place of of love and, and vulnerability, then whatever truth is much more likely to be heard. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, 
because of Marxism and our political movements, there's been like a dismissal and a reduction of spiritual practice as part of our movements. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know from so many movements that have been successful um, that that the spirit has to be part of it. The ritual, like we can think of boycotts or 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 protests as as ritual of like mm-hmm. honoring what is most precious to us and doing that collectively, doing it in a public place such as the streets that we walk mm-hmm. upon and drive upon. Yeah, yeah. The co- the collectively, I think, is really important too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And coming and and finding your sangha, your your community too. Yeah. I love the way that you um, that you bring together these ideas of yogic philosophy and Buddhism in the book to have people understand how they're connected with politics and, and political movements. And I wonder, I wonder about okay, I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce her, like how to how to put, put this question. I wonder about the yoga community and I wonder about uh, their, I mean, you talked about, you talk a little, you talked a little bit about how you've met some resistance and I wonder a little bit about, you know, what that response has been and whether folks have been willing to kind of open their arms to some of this, because there are so many folks who um, perhaps uh, don't see it They're you know, they don't see the water. And yet so many of the principles of yoga are uh, natural supports for this work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing, you know, that I write about in the book is that being pushed out of so many yoga spaces has pushed me actually right into the arms of my most beloved comrades and dear ones. Um, And so even though it felt like a huge injury at the time, it was a part of it was a process of finding my people because those who were also pushed out <laughs> um so like so many of my my dear colleagues are um are bipoc women um who find themselves similarly sidelined and you know some of them already identify as queer some of them already identify as allies some of them uh hadn't ever encountered a queer or trans person before me, but we could see in each other's experience the the, the dismissal, the targeting, the um, the expectation to uphold the status quo and just be quiet and not uh, disrupt um, business as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, so we could see each other, you know, and um, and in that process, then right even though like I'm protected by my whiteness and they're protected by their cisgender um, privilege, um, we could, I could then like become a better anti-racist ally and they could become a better trans ally just through our relationship, which was formed by like, it was intersecting, but very different um, aspects of, of marginalization. I'm curious, Jacoby, how do you, um, what do you call on when you experience this now currently? I mean, one would love to think the world's changed from from when you were first bullied back in high school and then, you know, the least times you've been kicked out of 
yoga classes and so forth, but um, sadly I imagine it still does happen. Is that true or not true or, or is it? Yeah, I mean, right now I'm situated in, in Utah in the U.S., which is very, uh, has a much more conservative culture than the East Coast mm -hmm. where I've lived for a couple of decades. Um, and yeah, I mean, just as recently as two years ago, I was uh, let go from a, a yoga studio in the midst of pregnancy. Um, most like what I can identify is that like they couldn't handle my politics. Mm -hmm. And um, and it was just like a convenient moment to let me go because I was like getting mm -hmm. all my classes subbed. And, and also I feel like somewhere, somehow they knew that like, you know, discriminating against a pregnant person is illegal, but discriminating <laughs> against a trans pregnant person, they could probably get away with. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. 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 I mean, That's even in the states, in, in New York City, you know, when yeah. I was fired from an institution read, uh, run by a yoga ashram, New York City is a place that has, uh, gender identity on the list of, you know, it's illegal to discriminate based on gender identity. Mm -hmm. And even there they did. And it's really hard to mm -hmm. prove discrimination, mm -hmm. which again, then it just refers me back to the practice. It refers me back to cultivating strong relationships, especially across difference, because mm -hmm. the policies are not going to liberate us. Like mm -hmm. the, the, the policies follow social movements. They don't lead social movements. It's not about a liberation. It's about like, the government's being like, oh, shit, if we don't do this, then, like, everything's going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I remember in the book um, reading about, reading what you were saying about, you know, being with people, who, being being with people who, um, being with people who are different, basically. And I was talking with Lucy about an experience that I've had as, um, you know, as a Black woman, growing up in very white communities uh, and yet and and sort of more recently having an opportunity to speak with some other black women in spaces where they're only just black women and I was explaining to Lucy like my I could feel my nervous system just go ah just being around uh, yeah just being around other women who were exactly like me in some respects and the respect that it's like it was so it was some sort of visceral thing and then I remember reading in your book about, and I and recognizing it as well, about how important it is for us, you know, for everyone to engage with others, engage with people who are different to us. And I wondered, and I understand the importance of that, because if people don't see, if they if they have no experience of someone different to them, then they can continue to kind of live in their world about and their beliefs about who these people are, who we are. And yet, I kind of, I kind of, I see this challenge for folks, yeah. you know, and I wondered what your thoughts were about that. Like, if you could share a little bit or talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, I was speaking recently at a, in a college class where a young woman raised her hand and she was like, so why should I have relationships with men? <laughs> exactly. Wait a minute. <laughs> I feel so much better when I don't. <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah. totally and yeah my answer to her is that um you know to not participate in the dehumanization of any group of people based on their identity that that's a really dangerous road to go down and yeah. um most violence in this world has been built upon that mm -hmm. um 
and I think also I've learned um, that there's that there's some really good people out there that will surprise you, and that's going to be healing for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to not deny yourself that possibility of healing. I mean, I think it's incredibly important to have these affinity spaces and for people, um, you know, that have always seen themselves centered and uh, uh, depicted in yoga spaces. Those are essentially affinity spaces with like a few people coming in <laughs> here and there. And, and then for the rest of us who are the like, often the only one in the room, we need that opportunity to have our nervous systems settle. But then from that place, you know, I'm thinking of the work of Bernice Johnson Reagan and um, an article she wrote on coalition politics that she talks about how important it is to have those home bases where mm-hmm. you can fully be and spread your wings and let your vulnerability be, be seen, let your sorrows be held. And then also that coalition and and solidarity is so important too because otherwise we're not going to move any kind of social justice agenda forward and you're also not going to be able to um uh develop ally relationships too i mean and and i i i'm going to say the next thing with some hesitation but kind of educate people so they can become allies and and i'm hesitating because i know there's a there's a whole thing about it's not your job to educate me, but yeah, but but being with you educates me. So it's mm. it's right. yeah, hanging out with you educates me. Yeah, and I think In we we learn to be with each other. We learn to stand up for each other through relationship, right? If you don't, eighty yeah. percent of people in the U.S. at least don't know a single trans person, and so then mm-hmm. of course they can pass policies against trans people. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 60% of white people don't have relationships with, with BIPOC folks. So of course, you know, the, the carceral system is as big as it is. Of course, mm-hmm. the police violence is what it is. Um, but if we think of these people, you know, if I, if I think of someone that's, that's killed by police recently, like that, that, that could have been my beloved, that could have been my colleague, that could have um, been my lover, then I mean, even just saying that out loud, like that gives me chills and I'm going to like participate in, in racial justice. So I, I think absolutely relationship across difference um, is essential. It, it allows those untargeted identities to spread out the work um, and share, share the labor. And it allows um, those of us in protected identities to, um, to step into wholeness with, mm-hmm. you know, any of these systems of oppression, we, if you're in a protected ident- identity, you benefit from them, but you also suffer from the same system. I've been mm-hmm. supporting a couple of groups of, of white folks this past year in anti-racism and white supremacy absolutely harms white people, mm-hmm. right? We think yeah. of it as just, just who it targets, but like it denies us our own humanity too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, all as I'm, as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking as well about the vital importance of self-care because I'm recognizing that this is a, this is a marathon. This is a long, you know, this is a, this is a lot of work to do over time, relation, building relationships, 
um, you know, learning to see each other and what we're seeing and what we're feeling is, if I can say, is exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhaustion already. Totally. You know, I, and I, I shouldn't even say already. I don't feel like that's fair um, because there's folks who have been, you know, who've been in this work for decades and decades and it's tiring work. And I, what I'm like, what I'm really loving about your book and about some of the things that I'm hearing out there is that folks are starting to, um, they're starting to talk about self-care more and the importance mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. I mean, I know people have been talking about self-care for a very long time, you know, Andre Lord and others. Um, a long time, so it's not all new, uh, but I do like that I'm hearing more of it, you know, and I love that uh, this book in particular offers all these beautiful meditations and these beautiful tools for what I was seeing as self-care. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think it's so important, especially for folks in any kind of marginalized identity where the world is saying you don't belong, you shouldn't exist, you're you're wrong <laughs> um, or uh, guilty by default. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the, the work of, of loving kindness and self-care is so important because that's, um, it's a resistance to that message. Um, and it's reaffirming our belonging and our dignity from the inside out, which then can never be taken from us. Mm. And then it's, uh, um, you know, to add on to that is community care as well. You know, yep. so self-care and then community care is, is you, you write about something called um, vicarious resilience, which is a, a phrase I hadn't heard before. Can, can you speak to that for a little bit? Because I thought that was really juicy. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, that's the term that neurobiologists give it, the civil rights movement. Uh, called it redemptive suffering and it's the um, it's the strength that we find coming on the other side of suffering on the other side of oppression um, and then also in smaller moments too that when we see other humans acting speaking from their goodness and it, it inspires that in ourselves um, an example I often use is a New York City uh, subway train and that you know if there's elders or pregnant folks on the train there's signs up on the train that says you know give up your seat to, to them they need the seat more than you do and I'll watch as like a single person does that and then inevitably but before the next stop even at least one other person will do that too when mm -hmm. we see each other in our goodness that compels our goodness um, and then, you know, I think that's another reason for affinity spaces is um, that Shara can see the other Black women in as gorgeous and brilliant as they are. And that reminds you, right, of how gorgeous and brilliant you are. So this book is going to be, you personally, you're going to be responsible for a whole lot of vicarious resilience. <laughs> I hope you're ready for that. <laughs> I thought that would be an honor. Yeah, I feel more resilient from having read it. I do. Too. I really do. I really, really do. You know, 
I love that um, that you talk a lot in this book about forgiveness. I think it's I think it's a, one of the most challenging things, but also one of the most powerful things, too. Yeah, and. I wonder for you, um, yeah, I wonder a bit about your practice of forgiveness and sort of where that's come from and how that's evolved. And yeah, I've got more questions about it, but I'll leave it there for now. Let me pass it over. The first time I worked with it um, very intentionally was uh, I was at a yoga teacher training at Kripalu in Massachusetts and we spent like three days talking and working and feeling family relationships. And I realized in that experience um, that everyone has stuff with their family. <laughs> There's been harm in most families mm. and therefore relationships with our families are most difficult that kind of shared experience and realization then softened my own relationship with my mom at the time who had, um, we had been fighting about my trans identity since I came out. Her being like, no, you're not. And me being like, yes, I am. <laughs> and just like pounding at, it, at each other for, for years, for like five or six years. And I remember going up to my dorm room that evening and writing a letter to my mom. It was a very different kind of letter than any others that I had written in those five years. It was understanding her perspective that um, not that her transphobia was okay, but what is it like to be a parent of a trans person and mm. to know our vulnerability? in the world um and i asked for her forgiveness for that for for you know my identity um giving her more vulnerability i asked for forgiveness for not being the daughter that she wanted and expected um for not being strong in the ways that she is strong but finding my strength in other places and i sent that letter to her and um we talked a few weeks later and she said, crying, of course, I forgive you. <laughs> and it shifted, it shifted so much that I could come from that softness. That's, you know, I think of it as like emotional, like Aikido, but like mm -hmm. that she came still with the fist and I yielded. Right? And like, it's like, oh, okay, well here, um, and then I went to a forgiveness retreat led by Gina Sharp and Larry Yang um, in 2013 or something like that. And I went with my partner and a couple of my best friends. And it was such a beautiful retreat. And we, we all took a car up, up to the meditation center with each other for three hours and then drove back with each other and to just like witness our both what we were bringing to the retreat and then also what we brought from the retreat back home. 
uh, I think strengthened our friendships. Like those folks all, all always have like um, such a be- beautiful place in my heart. Um, and to also sit with a hundred other people that were doing work on forgiveness that came with their own vulnerabilities, their own instances or uh, ancestral experiences of, of harm. Um, and hearing Larry talk about it, I remember he read the story of, um, of an indigenous tribe and um, the Bureau of Land Management and a conversation between a white man and an indigenous man um, that took place in Oregon when the Bureau of Land Management was uh, going to re- acquire some land that had that contained the ancestral homeland of one of the chiefs of this tribe. And so they talked and the Bureau of Land Management um, ended up offering that land back to the indigenous people, um, which is healing of itself, right? But then also in the story, a couple of years later, um, some of the native mascots of high schools in the area were shifted, recognizing mm-hmm. that like, that's also harmful in the same mm-hmm. vein. And and then it just kind of like rippled outwards. and. Um, and all the work we do for justice, like we do justice work because harm has been created. So then even once like the policy has been passed or the campaign has been won, there's there's repair work to do. And if we don't do that, then we leave a further mess for our descendants and those who come after us to, to clean up. And I, um, inspired by you know all the reconciliation um efforts around the world that's like this public process of of forgiveness and you know i write in the book about forgiveness is like the process in our own hearts so we could do that work of forgiveness without ever talking to the person again we can do that work from a distance we can do that work um yeah even within relationships that we have to be proximate to like relationships with a boss or relationships with a sister or something like that. Um, it feels like, uh, yeah, like relationship care work. And and in that way, since society is made up of relationships, it feels like care for our whole society that if I don't do the work to clean up the mess that I've experienced in my life, then who's gonna clean it up after me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's also um, uh, seemed to me a very, strong and um, repeated message in your book too that the personal work that you do makes a difference to the uh well to your family to your to your um, ancestors your pre- what are the people after you what are they called um descendants, descendants thank you descendants. <laughs> those people um Successors. your community <laughs> and and uh, and the world like it's you know i you know this stops here kind of um yeah, uh, exactly. you know mindset but but also it is coming and doing your practices it's wherever you do them i, I hate saying coming to the mat because it's not necessarily a mat it might be an altar it might be a chair it could be a tree you know <laughs> but um yeah but you know doing your practices and and forgiveness is and you offer a beautiful practice for forgiveness as well very eloquently and um, can you speak to that a little bit about your, your you know, because you've been doing this for a long time so, and you've been uh, teaching a lot of people to do this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think 
my life and social justice work in general kind of demands of me that I come into my practice wherever it takes place. And then the healing and the love that I find there compels me back out into the world to act. So it's it's this reciprocal relationship. And I, I, I don't know what I would do, how I would sustain myself with without a practice in social justice work. Um, I feel really grateful to the traditions of yoga and Buddhism, especially given that my own ancestors gave up their 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 own religious and spiritual and cultural practices to assimilate in, into whiteness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I write about that in the introduction of the book. That like, um, thank goodness that <laughs> that yoga and meditation could like scoop in and hold me because um, and hold so many of us where where mm-hmm. there's been trauma in spiritual lineages um not that any lineage is there's plenty of trauma within yoga and 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 buddhist uh lineages as well but um but that i I could land with the teachings and trust that the teachings will always hold me and guide me and by extension therefore you you would recommend that to all other yoga and Buddhist practitioners, is that a fair thing to say? To recommend the, the teachings or recommend? The practices. I mean, as oh, the keeping coming and back to the practices, mm-hmm. you know, to. Yeah, that dedication it, and regularity and ritual right. of returning is so right. important because there's always going to be something to work on, whether it's something minor, like, you know, I said something, uh, that wasn't kind to my partner or something like that, mm-hmm. or whether it's something profound, like, oh gosh, we have another uh, homicide of a trans woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's you know, life, life keeps rolling. And so there's always new material to work with. And the, the teachings are timeless like that, right? They can, they've hold people, held people for thousands of years and, and they're not going to become irrelevant because suffering arises. <laughs> Mm. yeah yeah if nothing else they become more and more relevant as suffering (sighs) continues to arise and we continue to need tools for um reconciling with that for holding it for addressing it for supporting our communities i think i that was something that i really loved about the tone of the book was this idea that uh, as individuals we have the power to affect the whole and I think that's incredibly empowering mm-hmm. because I think there's often a sense of I'm over here struggling in my place <laughs> and what the hell am I going to do? You know, how can I, uh, you know, how can I make that much of a difference, especially when we continue to see, um, when we continue to see this suffering out in the world. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes when it feels like it's getting worse before it's going to get any better. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really powerful message to be bringing out. And I think the, the the difference that we can make as individuals is not always going to be seen on a global scale, right? It might just be like you're the person in your family that people go to when they're having emotionally a hard time or uh, that your, your street and your neighborhood is one where people are connected and show up for each other, whether there's a birth or a death. Um, doing that work locally, I feel like is 
as important as doing it on a, a bigger scale. And so in that way, you know, all of us have different gifts and, and tools to offer. I'm grateful for folks like Va- Valerie Kaur or Patrice Kohler's Khan to do it on the more national and international scale. And then I'm also grateful to to people whose names we'll never know. Yes. That is yet another thing I love about this. Because I've always really, I've always sort of like fancied myself someone who cares deeply. And obviously we all have a vested interest in injustice, but I've never seen myself as a person necessarily who um, was loud about it, would be very loud about it. And 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 also just the, the spaces that I at the moment that I'm sort of operating in and that I have operated in all my life, I've kind of also felt like this one person over here, you know, kind of against all of these other folks who really don't want to hear this message. And I think one thing that I really loved about this book was it made me feel empowered. It gave me a sense and an understanding of how the way that I am in the world, uh, whether it be loud or quiet, can have an impact, can have, can express, you know, what I believe is important and can um, create a space where others can hear it, can feel it, yeah. can, um, can begin to live it too. And, oh, I can't tell you what that did for me, really just, oh. you know, cause I was struggling. I was like, okay, what do I need to do? Like, I care about this stuff so much. You know, is it time that I, you know, start create a web page or do something that I, so that I, you know, do I need to be the loud person? Or is it okay for me to be something that feels a lot more um, authentic to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, that's you know the title, a queer dharma, like the, the the dharma and knowing what your dharma is, which is like what's what's your role to play? What are your skills? What are your gifts? What's your contribution? Um, is so important to reckon with and. Um, and to embody and follow and to know that like my dharma is just mine and i'm the only one who can live it and your dharma is just yours and so it doesn't serve me i mean of course we can inspire one another and uh teach each other for their skills and and, um you know shift each other's trajectory of course and um there can be so much comparison in social change work and if we can just drop that, you know, that doesn't serve us. Like, I need you doing what you do, where you're doing it, how you're doing it. And you need me doing what what I'm doing, where I'm doing it. And yeah. can we be in relationship but not need to be each other and not need to change each other? Yes, I love that. I really do. So, uh, so. This has been fantastic. I think um, to kind of just begin to wrap it up, the question that's there for me, and I'm, I'm guessing you too, Lucy, because we talked a little bit about this, is what's next for you, Jacoby? What's next? I don't know. I mean, any any shift that I've done in my career or you know, teaching practice has come from the people that I work with. Um, my students asked me to have a newsletter and my students asked me to have a website and my students, a couple of my friends said, no, you need to write this. Like, no, really, like go, 
write the now go write this. <laughs> um, so I want to remain open to whatever is alive. Uh, one of the new avenues of work that I'm in right now, um, I carried and birthed a child a couple of years ago, and um, through that ex experience, came to understand how um, homophobic and transphobic the birth work world is. And so I took a prenatal yoga teacher training um, several months ago, and I'm now offering uh, prenatal yoga online for that centers queer and trans people. Straight people are also welcome, but um, the lens is going to be a little is going to be queer centric mm -hmm. um, so that because I know that um, when we receive the care we need, then we have better out better health outcomes and then therefore better outcome, better relationships in our families and our communities. Um, and then, you know, I feel like there's so much more to be said in this realm of forgiveness and mm -hmm. accountability and calling one another in or calling one another out. Um, especially given how divided our world is with white supremacy on the rise in so many places around the globe with um, so much separation around uh, so much division around COVID and um, who's been in harm's way and vaccination status and, and all the things. Um, there's so much work to, to be done on, on separation. It feels like there's more there and I'm just like curious what's going to present itself. Yeah. Jacoby, do you think you might have a little vacation at some point? <laughs> yes, it starts actually on Friday. Yay! <laughs> Very good. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. My nervous system just went, Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I feel like, oh my goodness, you've been so busy with everything. And I think it's wonderful, wonderful that this message is, is, is getting out in the way that it is and that you're bringing it um, and all the love along with it. I was just, just one quick thing. I remember that being at your book launch online, it was just a love fest. I just left that feeling so full and so joyful. And so yeah. I suppose, you know, in closing, I just, um, I want to try to say this without, without tears, but I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing in the world for, you know, making this world a better place for me and for my family, my children um, and their children, too. It's a courageous work. I know it's not easy. And um, and I really just do appreciate you for that. Thank you so and, much. Uh... And I'll just say me, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. Yeah. Thank you. It's been great, great to talk to you both. Such a pleasure. Yeah. Such an honor. Thank you. Yep. Mm. Yeah. We hope it's not the last time, too. <laughs> yeah. To more conversations in the future. Cheers. Cheers. And we are back. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Sharon. It's good to be back. It is very, very good to be back. You know, I think, I don't actually know if I, I don't know if I told you this, but I discovered Jacoby Ballard more than a year ago or so. And when I discovered Jacoby, there was something, and I can't exactly remember the details of how I did that, to be honest, but there was something that I was immediately drawn to, immediately. And so I was really excited about having this conversation with Jacoby because I'd had a couple of other opportunities to be in their face or sphere before now. 
And every time I had listened to a presentation that they did or sat in on a, you know, some event or whatever, uh, that feeling of being drawn to this person got that little bit stronger. And so I was really excited about having this conversation. And I got to tell you, like, I was really loved this conversation. <laughs> and I know we don't want to have, I know we don't want to sit here and talk no. for like 20 minutes about how much we loved it. I would love to hear from you. Like, how did you feel in the conversation? Well, I, I just to, in response to what you just said then, yeah. I had not met Jacoby before this. Mm-hmm. And so my first experience of Jacoby was reading their book. Yeah. And I came oh, to yeah. our podcast interview with them a little bit nervous because it's, you know, understanding all of the ins and outs of social justice work is newish to me. Mm. And I was a little bit in awe of them. Mm. And now after hanging out with Jacoby Mm. for the time we did, I just feel uh, really comfortable and less, I mean, I'm still in awe for all that they've been through and all that they are now sharing, but... I felt really comfortable with them and Mm. and I felt the conversation was so rich Mm -hmm. and I learned so much. So to be honest, like we we do want to talk a little bit about what we learned from this or how this conversation changed us. And I think we're touching on some of it here. You know, I think Mm. these, some of the things that we're bringing up and talking about now are uh, for me, at least are at the very center of what I feel like I got out of this conversation and so mm. what stood out? How would you, how, what touched you most and what do you feel and what impact do you feel like that had on you? I think that I, what I really took away is that, well, number one, that yoga, I'm not sure if is or can be political and I'm not sure which, I guess it's like anything. It depends on your intention when you mm. do something. Um, you know, the, I know this was in the book. I'm not sure if it was in our um, in our discussion, but you know the practice of self care for marginalised individuals mm. can be a subversive act because mm-hmm. you know you've been told they've been told for you know years maybe that they don't deserve to exist. They mm. have no value. They don't count. Mm. And so by caring for yourself, so practicing self-care, yeah. you are uh, would be putting yourself above that. And that's you know a, a political act. So yeah. I I and of course all our yogic practices are um, many, many of them are in some form a, a practice of self-care. So I took that away uh, mm. very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and also the that we all have our own path, you know, our own dharma. Like at the end when Jacoby was talking about, that's why he called the book Queer Dharma, you know, and, and uh, their dharma is their dharma, your dharma, Shara is your dharma, yeah. my dharma is my dharma. And, um, and we all contribute. Yeah, which is, oh, the other thing I took is uh-huh. even your personal practices on your mat chair altar or tree as mm-hmm. i said um, I that. wherever they Jacobi loved that yeah. when you said i remember i remember Jacobi <laughs> smiling um big smile when you said tree i was like oh i love it <laughs> yeah uh you know it does make a difference to the yeah. world which is you know which is certainly you know part of my motivation that i come to my as in my case most of my early morning stuff's on a mat in front of a altar but that's just me yeah um you know, is for the, what I hope to be benefits for my family and my friends and my mm. circles and my clients and students and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. 
you know, and the greater world. And that's definitely his experience, you know, when he talked about vicarious resilience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful, yeah. very powerful stuff. Very, uh, um, you know, important teachings in the book. In fact, it feels like those, are, that's, that's kind of the stuff that we talked about is truly the core of the book. Beautiful to see someone living it. So what, in what in, in what feels like such a complete way. I mean, all we know is what we the conversation that we had. But I again that that initial draw to Jacoby to me is says something about um, their practices, really. Yeah, and I think you and I took away some of the same things from this conversation. You know, we talked about we had talked a bit about you and I before the conversation began about this idea and this concept of dharma. And so it was, re- and we didn't necessarily bring it up ourselves, but Jacoby did. And I was really happy about that because I think that is something for me that I, I touched on in the conversation, but I feel in some ways that I'm, I've am i been grappling with around that subject of social justice. Like, wh- who am I supposed to be in this, in this, you know, in this movement? I don't know what you want to call social justice, but who am I supposed to be in this? I, you know, I found as a person of color, um, I have definitely struggled a little bit with trying to understand my role. I remember, you know, being a, being a black person in Australia, which is quite rare. I remember, you know, when, you know, last year when things kind of started to heat up again around the whole subject of social justice, so many of my white yoga friends <laughs> reached out to me to want to have conversations ah. with me about stuff. Ah. And I was like, oh, okay. And I even touched on this when Maria and I spoke with Michelle Johnson, just the fact that mm. I didn't know how equipped I felt to talk about social justice well and mm. truly. Like, but then there's this understanding or there's a sense that you're a person of color. You got, you know, you, you've, you, I'm sure you've got some stuff to teach me about <laughs> social justice. I, I was going to say, did you feel yeah. put upon a bit? Like they were expecting you to deliver some pearl of wisdom that would clear their conscience and they would have done their duty or. Interestingly enough, I had a, I had complex feelings about it. So mm. firstly, I felt touched. I felt kind of, you know, when somebody's wanting to know your opinion about things or wanting mm-hmm. to hear from you, you know, yeah. From me, I feel like, oh my goodness, you know, as, as something of a people pleaser, um, I feel like, oh, let me do what I can to offer something. Let me do what I can. And so what I wanted to do was just to be as authentic as I could about my own personal experience. And, uh, and you know, in many ways, I felt like that's what I was doing. I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, let me step into this role of teacher. Let me just share where I've come from and where, you know, what I see. But what it left me feeling was a little bit, a little bit, but a little bit unsure, again, about how, how equipped I am to talk about the, uh, the concept of social justice. Like, I didn't necessarily want people to think what they heard from me was like, you know, we've heard it from the horse's mouth, you know, kind of thing. Mm. Like, mm. here's the, here's the last word on social justice from this black person. Um, and because I feel like people like Michelle Johnson and people like Jacoby and people who have been steeped in the study, the understanding, the, um, the, this social justice work, I feel mm. like they have a much more well-rounded understanding of what it is as a movement, what it is as a, 
what it is as a body of knowledge and body of work than I do. So I do have mm-hmm. my own personal opinions about things and I do have yeah. my own personal experiences, which I'm certainly happy to share. And I also want to acknowledge those people who have been doing this work for many, many years and the expertise that they offer that is you know, far above my own understanding and expertise. And so, you, you know, know Shara, I have to stop you. I have to cut you off just for yeah. a moment. Yeah, say, sure. You're being very humble and and appropriately honoring of them. Yeah. But this is actually something that came up in the conversation with Jacoby is, yeah. you know, how it's important for us all to mix with and talk to, be in yeah. conversation with people who are not like us. Yeah. And if each True. of those person rang rang you and you were the only black woman that they knew or black person they knew you know you sharing um it may be a little insight you probably have no idea what impact you had on them very true that is very true yep I suppose what I'm I suppose what I'm expressing here is my own kind of my own sense of like Mm. am I worthy to be an activist am I worthy to speak to these subjects of social justice and what I loved about this in this conversation was that I felt like This book and this conversation with Jacoby helped me to recognize that we all have something valid to offer to this conversation around justice, around social justice, around being. And my struggle to to feel into my role as somebody who is in some ways positioned to speak on this subject uh, you know, as somebody who's experienced racism, who's experienced, you know, discrimination, I mean, in, to speak on that, it's, I can offer something that is authentic to who I am. I don't necessarily have to be the person who's out there leading the protest and shouting and being the angry person. And I loved how Jacoby talked about how all of that is needed. What everybody has to offer is a needed and is a, an important part of this process of creating a world that is more equitable and creating a world that is more just. And that, you know, I talked in the, in the conversation about my nervous system going, oh, you know, just that experience of that. I felt that in my body. I felt that sense of like, okay, you know, I can, I can well, be While made. we were talking with Jacoby, you felt while that? While we were yeah, talking. I saw that. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> I thank that. you. Thank Yay. you. You know, it was just, it was wonderful. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah. I think that the whole conversation is kind of was, uh, this is not a word. As a communications expert, I'm going to do it again. But <laughs> it was very permissioning. It yes. sort of is, gave, gave you name your permission. I, I felt um, very, you know, that I received permission to, um, you know, to continue to do the little bits that I'm doing. And uh, for what it's worth, if anybody else is like me who's listening, they're pretty and they're pretty privileged. You know, mm. I have most of the check boxes on privilege, mm. except for that I'm a woman and I have experienced sexual discrimination without, yeah. without question. But um, but I have most of the others checked, and uh, it's <sighs> lost my train of thought. What do I want to say? Okay. Said, um, yeah, permission just to, to um, well, permission to continue to learn in this way and in dialogue. And it's, you know, it's about mixing with people that you, are, like these people calling you that didn't know another black person. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, getting out there and mixing with all sorts of people from all sorts of different marginalised communities with, you know, an open mind and open arms, open heart, you know, to, to learn. Because, you know, when we're in connection, in relationship, there can't be anything but, 
you're a yogi, there can't be anything but love. Yeah. Know? Yes. And that's got to be good for the world, right? Yeah, for sure. And you know what? It's funny, just just to kind of back that up a little bit as well. I One of the things that I wrote down before we had this conversation, and, it, and I looked at it today when I was looking at my notes, was that this book is one of the one of the key themes in this book is self-responsibility like is this responsibility that we have you know okay this responsibility that we have to be a you know to to recognize the part that we play and to be active in you know in engaging around things that affirm like the word that just keeps coming up in my mind is love <laughs> And you mm. talked about that mm. too. And I think mm. that was a big part of this conversation. No go. Cause I'm like losing it. <laughs> go. Poor love. You know, I want to say what comes to mind. Do, do you remember the, the old movies that uh, used to have um, beauty pageants and things and they'd interview the, the contestants and they'd yeah. say, and, and what would you wish for in the world? And they'd always say, I wish for world peace. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> And you know, everybody could get along. And the truth is we can all contribute to that. Yep. I mean, and the little steps that we each of us as individuals make, yep. which is I think your point, is individually yeah. we can contribute to that through our, right. through our practices and through education. And this book is a phenomenal primer, I think. I mean, Jacoby covers so many different uh, issues within under the umbrella of social justice with all sorts of different marginalized communities not just um the queer community i mean he gets you know he he talks about bipoc and talks about um you know prison populations and anyway all sorts and yeah, yeah so strong recommendation to read the book that would be a final statement i would make about this experience of having sat and chatted with jacoby and you Mm, cheers I back you up on that I thought it was beautiful and I would highly recommend it as well and yeah it was a wonderful conversation thank you so so much because <laughs> I thought it was great <laughs> and I'm already looking forward to the next one me too all right then my friend until next time until next time <laughs>